Welcome, Phoenix fans, to a very special episode of The Burning Bird. I'm Steve Leinert. I'm joined by my friend Alexander Shaggy. Shraga Shaggy, thank you for joining us. Yeah, glad to join, as always. As always. And uh, we are joined by two uh, very special guests from the Philadelphia Phoenix. We have uh, Nate Little and uh, James Pollard. Nate and James, thanks for coming on with us. We, re- we really appreciate you taking time out of your evening. No problem. Thanks for having us. Yes, of course. Thank you. So I guess we should uh, just start at the beginning. Is Where were you when you first saw the George Floyd video, and what was your initial reaction? Uh, for me, I was actually working at the time. Um, definitely saw the video on Instagram. It was reposted a couple hundred times uh, through social media. And I just couldn't believe what I was actually watching. I mean, uh, just watching a cop, like, having this knee down on Floyd's uh, neck, like, I was just thinking, all right, like, he's going to have to, like, lift it up soon, like, he'll be fine, like, he'll be able to breathe, they called the ambulance, but, I mean, watching it for over, like, eight minutes, what I felt was much longer, it was just devastating because, you know, just him pleading, like, I can't breathe, um, it really just broke my heart from the inside, uh, just seeing something like that live, um, his actual death, like, being footage, uh, I mean, it's hard to take in, and it's hard to believe that, you know, a man actually, like, died from that as well. So, um, definitely carrying a heavy heart right now, and I really hope that there is a change in the justice system, too, because that's honestly, um, it's ridiculous to see, ridiculous to actually, you know, rise above to do something about that. Because, you know, thinking that you actually passed this and you're really not is just devastating. Um, yeah. James, what about yeah. you? I think, I think I was just, I was in my house, just on the internet when it came across. And it was just like, I don't even know if I watched the whole thing at first. It was just one of those things, like, I don't know, you almost get used to seeing stuff like that, like pr- police brutality coming across our uh, our social media. So I think I probably just kind of saw it quick. and was like, oh, okay. And went back and kept seeing it. Was- realize what actually happened like how long it was and it's just like just see how often this keeps happening to us just over and over some get charged some don't it's just just hard Nate you 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 talked about um those other uh that hopefully somebody would maybe push that police officer off of George Floyd's neck or somebody would intervene and no one did uh how how disgusting was it to watch those other officers stand by and um and 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 not and not come to to George Floyd's aid yeah i mean it's very disgusting to watch i mean um the three other officers i was just watching obviously like you kind of want to expect them to do something but like deep down inside like watching all of the police brutality over the years like honestly felt like they weren't going to do anything and they obviously didn't so i'm glad that they're getting the same charges as um, the prosecutor who killed George Floyd um, with the third-degree murder charge. But obviously, like, I'd rather, you know, for George Floyd to be alive. I was just hoping that at least one officer will actually do the right thing and sworn to serve, you know, to protect the individuals that are in society. And obviously, um, to show that, you know, that police officer is wrong for having 
his knee down his neck for way too long like that. You expect, you know, one of the officers actually like come up and be like, okay, okay, that's enough. You know, but they actually waited until the ambulance arrived, which is like much later after eight minutes, at least like 15, 20 minutes, you know, when he's already dead. Like it's just, it's not even just frustrating. It's just very, just very devastating. It's just sad to watch and sad to take in. So. I'm almost more upset at the other officers that are there. Like, yeah, you can have a bad person doing something, but it's like the fact that there's three other officers there not doing anything, just allowing it to happen is, is almost worse in my eyes. Like, you figure at least one of them would step up and do something. You even had the, uh, that random paramedic or that trained paramedic that, like, came in the video and was like, you guys need to do something. Like, he can't breathe. And they just, like pushed her out the way and didn't do anything until so I'm almost it's more almost more upsetting that you had those other three just not doing anything what is what have been the uh what have the conversations been like that you've had with your your parents and your loved ones in in your inner circle since all this has occurred yeah uh some people have definitely um talk to me a little bit i got a lot of text messages and phone calls from the people who i really care for the most inside the ultimate community that i'm involved with um inside my family members just checking up to see how i'm doing and just wanting to hear my voice rather than on text and obviously i really do appreciate that as well um but just you know hearing the voices and like obviously non-blacks and blacks saying like i don't understand this but you know i would really like to learn like more about like how you're feeling about this right now and you know, actually, like, make an impact on this situation because it's very brutal and we definitely want to see a change for your people. So, uh, honestly, like, I really, really appreciate, like, just hearing other people's voices on this concern because they're watching and they definitely want to take action as well. So having them as support, having them on my back, you know, it's, it's warm-hearting to me. Um, it shows that they really care, and they show that, like, you know, we're all family at the end of the day. So, yeah, it means a lot. Yeah, I've had a couple people reach out, and not even, not even people I would expect to reach out. Like, people I don't necessarily talk to all the time. Yeah. A person I trained with that I haven't seen in a couple months, like, a kid I used to go to college with that's still there, like, just reached out. I only see him or talk to him when I'm at going back and helping the Philly U ultimate team. Like don't talk to him really outside of that. And he reached out to me. It was like, it's just heartwarming. That's like people are reaching out and saying that they care. Like Nate said, like they don't necessarily understand, but like they want to, and just them reaching out just means a lot. Is what happened to George Floyd something that the either of you feel can happen to you individually or to someone that you love? Yeah, I've. Uh, yes, I think I think about it, especially like just something simple like going out into the city. Like I think about it, you always see people walking with headphones in, just around the city, and I like I've always thought of like I can't do that because I. I'm worried that, I don't know, something could happen. A police officer could be walking behind me and trying to get my attention and get me to stop. I don't hear him. Like, what would happen 
like would they pull their gun like would they throw me to the ground so like i don't walk around the city with headphones in just something simple as that is something i think about all the time my word that's something yeah, that even that's for, something I would I would be totally unaware of. I was gonna go off with James and say, yeah, I definitely agree. It's like having even walking around the city, their awareness and what's around you. Like I've been talking, always watching um because it's crazy. This country sees my skin as a weapon, and you know I can't let my guard down. I gotta you know always just be aware of like my surroundings and who's behind me, who's beside me, who's even in front of me, even look in my own eyes. It's crazy, especially as I'm doing work right now, delivery biking as well. Um, I'll say it is hard. I mean, it's hard being a black man in America, but you know, we learn to live through it. We learn to, you know, understand that, you know, we have expectations of living as a black man. So, I'll say is has a roughest moments, but sometimes it gets shared. Have either of you experienced racism firsthand? I don't know if necessarily firsthand, but like, or I just like not paid attention to it. Growing up, used to play basketball, like big in the sports, played basketball, baseball. Never really paid attention to it. But then in middle school, I got big into tennis. And tennis, you, there's not many black people playing let alone good black people playing. So I always just like proving myself and then just building up to eventually being able to get a scholarship for tennis to go to college and help pay for some of my tuition. And then on top of that, I also played golf my junior and senior year for my high school team, which that was Tiger Woods. We still probably wouldn't be half the courses we were allowed to get to now and playing ultimate like a little bit more diverse but it's like definitely more welcoming compared to like tennis and uh golf so it's like i don't know if i necessarily personally experienced it or just like rubbed it off just because i was like expecting like because of the environment it just like yeah um, definitely going off of what James says, uh, talking about playing sports that, you know, are predominantly white. I definitely had that back in my high school at Science Leadership Academy. Uh, our high school was really big in Ultimate Frisbee, and that's how I'm involved with you guys right now because of it. Uh, you know, um, just going out to certain tournaments and urban um, that obviously are predominantly white because it's a predominantly white sport. Uh can really show like an uncomfort to a minority, especially for African Americans. Obviously, like once again, we were a culturally diverse team. Um, playing for four years, you know, just getting the, just feeling like the looks from other people, like from the other teams' parents from the sideline, and just see just like the the preciousness that they like have of us. And there were some racist remarks uh, during those years too. Like you definitely, we don't really want it to be seen as anything different other than the color of our skin, but we want to be seen as, you know, a competitor, like an opponent, you know, like we're here to compete. We're here to play ultimate Frisbee, not because, you know, we're a different color of you. So those are like the one of many aspects that I definitely faced um, in my 20 years of living. Also just, you know, my community in West Philadelphia, you know, even walking into like a store without having someone to follow you. Um, obviously uh, that never happens really the race. 
it's growing up like being hated, you know, constantly. It's just hard to swallow. I mean, it's just hard to, you know, accept that this world has a hatred for you, has some type of hatred for you. So, yeah. You said something really poignant earlier in this conversation, Nate, where you said that the color of your skin is viewed like a weapon. Can you uh, just talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, my skin, I feel like it definitely is seen as a weapon, especially towards, you know, um, police officers as well. Uh, even just, it doesn't really, like, to them, it doesn't really help that, like, how I dress too, my attire. I mean, my favorite color is black. I love wearing black hoodies and black shirts. And obviously, like, it appeals to them, like, obviously, like, they see me as, like, a threat. And I'm just here either just, you know, walking around enjoying myself or literally just, like, working, like, working hard towards what I'm trying to accomplish. And it just sucks that literally, like, you have, like, these precious thoughts of me, you know, just trying to do my own thing without any, like, interference or intervening between, like, what your assumptions are obviously the assumptions aren't correct because you know i'm just another individual but to their eyes you know i'm just seen as something else to them and it just sucks that how they think they're playing the hero but really like you're harassing another black individual and it's not okay and obviously i'm talking about police officers like they need to understand that not all black people are considered threats. Not all black people like have weapons on their skin. Like we want to live just like you guys, you know? So obviously something needs to change here and it needs to change now. That's all I would say. A lot of these things that both of you mentioned, James wearing headphones when you're walking around the city, walking into a store, Nate thinking about like the clothes that you wear. I've never put any mental calculus into any of these things ever. I can't imagine just how exhausted, exhausting that would be. How do you, how how do you manage that like day after, like your whole life? Yeah, I'll say it's nothing like you wouldn't just like generally bring up to another person really until like that person actually wants to know like what's it like living as a black man. And then you bring it up, but um, but I'm just trying to say that you know it's just artists trying to compact everything together and just live as another individualist in society. Uh, you just do the best you can. I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's almost something that's like, don't even really, besides like the headphone thing, it's like putting on clothes, like, because I wear, like y'all know, I wear bright colors all the time. It's just like, I'm more just like focused on what goes together, but like I'll have that like in the back of my mind. It's like, uh, probably can't wear this. Probably can't, don't want to wear that color in this area, type of thing. James, I'm going to add a moment of levity during this uh, difficult conversation. When you wear your uh, necky with the the bottom part of it is the skull during mm -hmm. a warm up during warm up for the Phoenix Games, that scares me. I'm intimidated. I'll tell you that right now. That's uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> but that's good. That's part of. Part of the point of wearing it. Yeah, it's right. Exactly. Intimidating to the other teammates. There you go. Well, I'm, I'm, it works on me. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, have either of you had a chance to uh, to march? And uh, if so, can you just uh, talk about what your experiences have been like? Um, I haven't, but I do have a 
a little bit of a story. What is this is Friday, so Thursday, yesterday. I spent the day driving up to basically DC and back. One of my cousins that is going to school down is going to college down here in Virginia was I guess big into protests and apparently some weird stuff was happening. Like she thinks she was being followed. Her phone line was being listened on listened to because apparently anytime she like would mention the protest or something on the phone with her mom like her, the line would get cut off so I drove her up to DC and then handed her off to one of our other cousins and she was going back up to Philly to be with the parents <clears throat> scary stuff yeah Yeah, Native, Native. Um, I, yeah uh, I've actually protested um, two times in the past few days. Uh, the one I went to yesterday, I think that was the most emotional and effective one. Uh, we marched from the Art Museum to Love Park. I mean, we basically marched all around the uh, city of Philadelphia, from north to center city to west, and back to Philadelphia Museum of Art. And during the end is what really, you know, hit me because we did uh, a reenactment of George Floyd where we all just laid on the ground for exactly eight minutes and 46 seconds, just feeling like what it was like dying, like right there for eight minutes with a police officer, his knee on your neck for eight minutes. And it was, I mean, the weather, it was really hot yesterday. People were tired and it's just some. It's a predicament that you just don't want to be in. I mean, it's just something that you'll think you'll be in the last place to be, like on the ground, you know, pleading for help. I mean, there was even chants while doing like laying down, like "Please, sir, I can't breathe. I can't breathe." Like the repetition of what George Floyd has been saying since his last words. Um, definitely took effect to me. And you know, it's honestly like protesting can be more than a protest. I mean, you just you're literally advocating for black lives to not be killed anymore. You really want to see a change and, you know, and seeing so many non-blacks out there, just seeing a bunch of, you know, Hispanics, uh, white people in general, just supporting us, having our back and being with us for hours and hours in the day. Um, it, it says something, honestly. And yeah, it's, yeah. Now, did uh, either of you witness the uh, tear gas incident on 676? I believe that was on um, on Monday of this week. Um, James, did you see that on TV, perhaps? Um, I had I had a couple friends that were there. I think I think Luke Ryan, Luke Ryan might have been there, and he had a video, and I saw some. That was crazy. I can't I can't believe that. I mean, that's that's almost exactly yeah. what people are marching against is that kind of police brutality. We, uh, we spoke to Matt Hanna who was there and a teammate of yours on the Phoenix. And, uh, he said that it was a completely peaceful protest that, um, that he witnessed and the, uh, the, the police started throwing tear gas at peaceful protesters. I mean, that's just another example of, uh, brutality, um, that the, uh, people are, are marching against. And, um, uh, it's, uh, I mean, I, I, it's just hard to believe that this goes on in, in this day and age still. And I, I don't know, I, I, I guess 
personally, I thought we were we were beyond this point as a country, and I I'm sad to know, and uh, I'm struggling with the fact that we're not, and uh, there's a lot well, there, there's a long way to go for a lot of us. So uh, let me ask you guys a question. Another really hard question to ask the uh, the rioting and the looting that are, that has been going on around the country. Um, and for the most part, it stopped at this point, and things are mostly peaceful. But when it from when it uh, when it occurred, mostly last weekend, um, do you feel it took away from the, the from the the message from the cause, or do you feel that it only amplified that message? A little bit of both. Yeah. Because, like, from one aspect, like, you got the whole with Colin Kaepernick when he was kneeling during um, the NFL games or when, like, LeBron James spoke out and that group told him to, like, we try to do peaceful protests and you, or whoever it is, and nothing happened. So it's like, this is the next step. But it's like, at the same time, it's like, I don't condone that. It's just like, it's almost like you're using the protest as a reason to do that and steal. So it's like, I kind of feel both ways about it. Yeah. Obviously, it definitely sends uh, the rioting, looting. It sends mixed messages at first. You know, I was definitely like in support of it because we have been doing a lot of peaceful protests over the killings from police brutality over the years. And we obviously had the notion, like, hey, like, they need to hear our voice and they're going to hear it. And obviously now, like, they haven't heard it until now, I feel like. Because if they were really to listen to us from our peaceful protests throughout years and years of protesting, um, you know, George Floyd would definitely still be alive. Breonna Taylor, you know, definitely be alive. Ahmaud Arbery, I mean, these recent killings, I mean... It says something. It says that, you know, police just do not care about saving lives and sworn to serve the individuals who live in this country. Um, so the rioting and looting, it obviously is a new voice to the government, to like politicians like, hey, like, we've really literally had enough. Like, I feel like the rioting is a new language that we're speaking. And, you know, there's a saying, I mean, action speaks louder than words. So. I was definitely all for the rioting and looting, but then ever since, you know, I've been watching more of social media after the big looting, which was on Saturday, I believe. Um, a lot of people uh, definitely were just, you know, looting just for the heck of it, um, just trying to get, you know, free stuff. And obviously that shows that you take greed and materialism over the main concept of why we're looting in the first place, which is to justice from you know the people who have fallen and it's sickening and that's just something i just can't stand aside either especially just the looting of black owned businesses and you know small family owned businesses just being you know destroyed and destructed and obviously like they're not the same as corporate stores where corporate businesses can easily rebuild after the looting but you know family owned businesses they it would take them weeks, probably even months, close to a year or two, just to, you know, rebuild of what was destroyed. And it's just ugly to see. Um, so at the end of the day, I mean, there's mixed messages about the looting and rioting. I generally do support it, but obviously it has its flaws. And 
I feel like we should, as individuals, you know, keep the focus of why we're doing this in the first place. I mean, we want to avenge, you know, African-American lives that have fallen. So speaking of those black owned businesses, isn't the uh, isn't your job as the uh, are you delivering for a, um, I don't actually know what it's called. So that's why this question is. So what was it? It is Uber Eats. Yeah. Uh, Christina was telling me that you um, were talking to her about like a version of Uber Eats that's only for black owned restaurants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the black misses is I work for two platforms. I work for them and with Uber Eats. But the the platform me and Christina had a conversation about it's called Black and Mobile, and they're the first black delivery service to ever um, be created. And they only serve from black local restaurants around the community of Philadelphia. And they're becoming to be worldwide, too. They have um, places in Chicago, Atlanta, Florida, and California, and they're hoping to expand. But the main purpose of why they created that, the names are David and Aaron, um, is to really, like, support, you know, Black businesses and Black owners because we are, you know, living in denial in this society, and we don't get a lot of support, basically. So this is one of the many, like, businesses that come of aid when it comes to, you know, black people trying to be successful in their own careers. So there's been a lot of uh, questionable leadership throughout this whole ordeal. I mean, who's really dropped the ball in your opinion? Is it Minnesota mayor, the Minnesota governor, the, the, uh, the, the police chief in Minnesota, the, the police chiefs around the country, the, the tactics the, 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 that are that are used in, in some states as far as the uh, y- uh, use of force. I mean, I mean, I, maybe it's all of the above. I have, I have no idea. Yeah. I think it's all of the above and coming from the president because of that that one tweet he sent out about like when the looting starts, the shooting starts, something along those lines. Like that sends a clear message. Yeah. He also sent a message about, uh, you know, hey, he called out, I mean, Minnesota, Minneapolis, and cities like Philadelphia, Chicago, like, you know, get your people in order and stop these thugs from, you know, looting and rioting. And he literally called, like, police officers, like, amazing people, like, do your job. And it's, it's, I just couldn't stand, like, his logic at all there. I mean, we don't have a great president, is what I can say. Uh, and it doesn't help either towards this cause as well. But I personally think we should start smaller locally. Yesterday, I was at a protest and a nice gentleman handed me a letter for uh, Congress to change a act that police officials have called the Ending Qualified Immunity Act. Which is basically say if, you know, uh, uh, kills an innocent black man. Um, his consequences towards that world literally uh, won't be enacted for a while until, you know, prosecution comes of aid. And the Qualified Immunity Act protects that police officer from facing a maximum kind of consequence. Like it can be like a second or third degree murder. Um, 
it basically benefits the cop from getting away with something that's clearly wrong, clearly that violates his right to serve as a police officer. So the nice gentleman handed me this in order to end the Qualified Immunity Act so he can eliminate qualified immunity and restore Americans' ability to obtain uh, relief when police officers violate the Constitution of Secured Rights for not just, you know, Black people. I mean, it is for Black people, but literally for all Americans, but obviously Black people are being victimized, and it clearly shows. Nate, you talked about your experience um, playing high school ultimate uh, and, and, and how a lot of people on the sidelines, you could feel like they're them looking at your team. Um, is there something that either of you feel the ultimate community could do better or could do more of? Um, uh, I mean, personally, like, you can have conversations like these where it shouldn't be that hard to, like, change, you know, certain type of respect that they have for minority. I mean, I'm part of a minority group of color for Ultimate on Facebook, and, you know, we constantly talk about these things a lot, and uh, definitely, like, bring it up to the administrators who run, you know, different Ultimate Leagues and things. Um, yeah, just feel like we can obviously uh, negotiate because at the end of the day, like, Ultimate is all about uh, diversity, like, all Colors of race is allowed to play the sport competitively and in a fair manner as well. So, Nate, I uh, I, I coached at uh, at Radnor High, and I'm uh, and actually I'm very good friends with Chris Lehman, who was your coach and uh, principal at Science Leadership Academy. Um, and I know how hard that he has uh, fought for equity for you guys. Can you just? Uh, Talk about what uh, maybe some stories that you have. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so, obviously, Lehman and I go way back. And he, I mean, he loves us to death. And honestly, without him, like, we wouldn't be as successful as we were those past four years. So we definitely have a lot of respect for him. And he has a lot of respect for us, you know. And if he sees, like, any type of adversity, he tells us, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, tell me anything. Like, don't keep this hidden inside you, like. You know, we're family, we're team in this all together. And I don't want you to, like, tell me if, like, you see any issues while you're playing this, you know, competitive sport. Um, I mean, we definitely had talks about this even, like, days before, like, a tournament on the weekend. Um, you know, it's, it just shows that he really cares a lot about his players, especially me and a couple of my classmates that graduated me together. Um yeah, he's the reason for some like most of our success throughout those four years, throughout my four years at least, through ultimate. Um I wouldn't be this player today without him, obviously. And yeah. Hey, didn't he didn't uh didn't Chris put a uh team in for uh club sectionals one year? The big league? Oh yeah, we um, Yeah. Because I remember we playing against SLA with Citywide. Okay, well, I was, what I was going to ask was, <laughs> um, what did it mean for to you, Nate, to have Mr. Lehman, Coach Lehman, um, lay that foundation of inclusion where you were able to talk about any kind of slights or any kind of problems you may have had? Uh, yeah, uh, having those conversations with Lehman. I mean, he and a few other people were the only people that I can actually, like, 
be upfront about how I feel about playing this sport. Um, obviously, during that time, uh, racism wasn't like a big issue, of course. So, you know, him just feeling, fulfilling his role as a coach and understanding, you know, what his players are going through, like understanding like the situations as the season progresses. Uh, it, it really meant a lot, and it really meant uh, so much for me to just be open about how I actually feel about playing the sports instead of just like hiding it and just playing ultimate at the end of the day. Like, obviously, the sport of ultimate is more than ultimate. It's about you know sportsmanship. Uh, it's about you know fair treatment and equality. Because at the end of the day, we're just all players trying to and trying to be the best version as an ultimate player that we can. And obviously, we can't do that if, you know, we feel some type of issue within the sport of ultimate. You know, we feel like there are any, like, racist remarks or racism towards our time of, you know, playing this sport. I mean, he always wanted us to talk to him about it. And it meant a lot that there was more than one player on our team who felt like racist remarks were occurred. And we definitely had, like, a meeting about it after the tournament weekend next week, uh, the following week. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. Lehman is a phenomenal, phenomenal coach. And I honestly really could have thanked him because those conversations needed to be heard by another person of color. It needed to be heard by people who don't understand. And I'm just glad, like, we were able to get part of our message through that, you know, if we ever feel like we're at stake, he'll always be there to voice our concerns. James, you were saying you remembered playing uh, that SLA team at sectionals? Yeah. How'd that game go? I think they <laughs> might have gotten, like, one on us. They got... <laughs> I think they broke our O-line, if anything. Nice. Definitely wasn't while I was on the field. <laughs> I just I just brought it up because like a school like that, and you're not most coach push their players, let alone to play at club sectionals against people that they have no chance of playing against and competing against. It was like being on citywide. We were like we took it very serious. We were like, don't mess around. Like play our game. Like, they're going to be trying their hardest. We need to treat them with respect and try our hardest. That's the only way you get better, though, James, when you're younger, is to play people that you have no chance against and getting your butt kicked. And uh, that's that's you. That's how you have a quick learning curve. Exactly. I mean, SLA, I believe, was in the uh, state semifinals that, that particular year um, uh, or was close to it. The Science Leadership Academy was building and building towards uh, peaking for a state championship. That's a testament to that program and then the, and the Coach Lehman. Hey, uh, James, I wanted to talk to you about uh, the, the work you do in the community as far as uh, uh, youth programs and uh, teaching ultimate and coaching. What does it mean to you to to – to have like the, the, the to be a part of those programs, especially in communities of of color. I, I think it's huge. I mean, because I mean, I don't technic- I don't have a job really right now. I've been fortunate enough to be able to focus on frisbee, and at first, I never really like paid attention to the fact that like I was just doing it. Arcata would always reach out and was like, "Yo, can you do this camp?" I was like, "Yeah," and then, like the more I thought about it, is like. There's always consistently been 
because I'm there, a person of color leading these camps. It was like, it just speaks also to the diversity of the Phoenix team. Like, you look at our roster, you can see the diversity versus some of the other ones. It's like, you got to look, you might have to look through the whole roster and you might find one. But you go through all of our roster and you feel like you've got tons of players of color. So I think it's more of a, it means a lot and it's more of a testament of just the Phoenix trusting me also. And it's like, I love doing it. James, today I spent a, a big chunk of today uh, researching about um, someone named Althea Gibson, who's this like world-class tennis player uh, from the 60s. And she was one of the first women to get a, a full scholarship for tennis. Um, and I was like, I know someone that went to school for tennis and I couldn't figure it out. And then you, <laughs> it was you, <laughs> obviously. She, and then she left tennis uh, because there was no money in it and she became a pro golfer. And then you said you were golfing. I was like, oh my God, it's like the same. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me ask James and Nate. And I mean, since we since we have them here, and I, I think I would be remiss if I if I didn't ask this. This this is a tough question for me to ask. I mean, is 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 there are there questions that we should be asking that we're not? I mean, as uh, is are, are are there things that we should know that we're not recognizing? Um, I think I think just y'all doing this and having our voices heard is a lot and you guys spending your time doing this podcast like like I told y'all before we started recording I listened to the Bryce podcast right before this don't know when y'all recorded that but just the fact that you guys are listening to us and hearing our voices is big thank you for that James that's very good kind of you to say what about you Nate I definitely feel like uh yeah, I definitely feel like we're getting your support, and I really do appreciate, you know, actually, like, hearing and then voicing, you know, our concern and um, our lives. Like, it's it's amazing that you guys are taking, you know, a part of the situation that needs to be heard. Um, we definitely, like, can't thank you enough, but obviously there's more to be done. Um, I definitely feel like, you know, uh, what you guys have is something that, you know, this country see that we obviously don't have, which is, well, I'll just come out and say, uh, privilege and rights. Um, sure. Obviously, yeah. if those are the things that, you know, this country sees, these killings wouldn't be happening. So definitely, I would feel like, you know, like, if you guys use your privilege, you know, use your rights for a situation like this, because at the end of the day, we are all one. I mean, at the end of the day, like, it really doesn't matter the color of skin you're in. I mean, as long as you're an individual who wants to make a change in this country, like you obviously will do your part. So, you know, using something like towards uh, can be an advantage, you know, can be uh, something that will be heard through throughout different governments and different politicians to actually take action and make an impact on the situation. It will definitely, you know, It'll definitely help. It'll definitely be great support as well. Because it is it's great that obviously like the voicing and everything is hopefully getting through right now. But you know, the action and what you guys do would obviously um will raise the situation to a much higher state, like a better state of being. So Well, this is the uh, least we can do and you're uh, you're right, you maybe um, it's time that the uh, eyes were opened.
Nate, when you were talking about your your time in L- SLA, you mentioned that um, racism isn't always the the big issue that you know we're talking about, and and I think that's true. I think the country and people like me forget, even though it's not always the big issue. I think it's always a it's always been you know a, a huge problem, and and how can we not forget this time? There have been incidences of police brutality for you know forever like a month ago is the um 20 of 28 year anniversary of the rodney king riots like this is a problem that has happened for a long time and it feels like we forget people like like me forget that it's a problem you know in a month and and how can we not do that oh yeah I mean, obviously, there's social media. I mean, people will always be posting what they're feeling and what they see and what they remember. Um, you know, that's still a, a big way of just, you know, never forgetting about what actually happened in our past. Uh, so definitely social media. And just, uh, I mean, just obviously socializing and talking about, like, the issues that happened in past times. Um there, I mean, there there are many aspects to this, uh, but obviously the main ones I feel like is definitely social media and just you know interacting with other people who may forget but one won't. You know, I mean, it doesn't hurt to you know raise your voice and actually talk about what's on your mind, just like what you're feeling. Uh, All right, James, you got anything you want to add in, my friend? No, I think it'd be basically the same thing. Just like who you. Who, people have been posting is like on Instagram or whatnot. It's like, you should follow these people or follow that person. Like like Nate said, you're always going to have people posting about it. It's just finding people that are going to be talking about it. Like this, uh, this diversity group that just started that like following along with them, like they'll be talking about this and that won't go away. I know that, uh, I mean, if, for me, I mean, it started individually with how I voted on Tuesday, and uh, hopefully that, uh, hopefully that's one small way to contribute and, uh, you know, and uh, help facilitate change and um, is to uh, is to get out there and 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 the vote and educate yourselves on the uh, on the issues and, uh, and and get the right people in charge so we have the uh, leadership in there to. Uh, make the right changes that that are necessary right now so uh so uh perhaps you guys don't have to uh live the way you live and james you can walk down center city wearing some headphones and uh nate you can wear whatever you want to wear without having to think about what it is in the morning you know what i mean and uh that's uh this has been an eye-opening uh eye-opening experience for me i mean for sure so thank you guys for coming on. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, for uh, Nate Little and for James Pollard, for Alexander Shaggy Shregas, I'm Steve Leinert. Thank you for joining us for this special edition of The Burning Bird. <laughs>